Isn't God good? <laughs> well, there's just not much you can say after that. Ricky, thank you for leading us in worship. Let me go ahead and dismiss our children for Children's Church. You can meet your workers at the back. Take your Bible and find your place in Revelation chapter number 21. We will finish our series that we began actually in September of last year. We will finish today. We will not finish the book of Revelation, but we will finish our time in it. While you're turning, let me uh, just uh, say a word about the insert here. Brian Henson and his family will be here next Sunday. The search committee has been praying and working and doing due diligence and worked now for several months. And Brian will and his family will be here and we will vote on them next Sunday at the end of service. And uh, is a good man, loves the Lord, his family wants to be engaged and, uh, in, in the church life. And we are praying that God would marry our church life with them and that God would bless greatly. And so I want to encourage you to be here next Sunday as we uh, fold him into this church life. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing there. Let me take a moment just to uh, teach us as a congregation. I'll give you two sermons for free today. But, um, please understand that the biblical concept of a minister, a pastor in church life, whether that be someone who leads in the music life of the church or in the capacity of families with children and youth or whether that be in a, um, a senior pastor type of situation, teaching elder, that uh, we never hire somebody uh, to build the church. And so when you come next Sunday, don't come with that expectation at all. That is an unbiblical expectation for pastoral ministers at all. The Bible says that pastoral ministers are to give themselves to the ministration of the Word and prayer. And that they are to equip the church to go out and share the gospel with all the world. And to uplift and build the church and to share the gospel and see people come to faith in Christ Jesus. The reason why we are bringing this man and his family into our church is so that he might teach the Word of God and disciple uh, both our children and our youth and our families together, that He might protect us against uh, false doctrine, that He might feed us as sheep, that He might guide us and protect us and lead us in the way that we should go. And so that is the reason why, that when He comes and His family comes, uh, the three main goals that they have is to feed, to teach the Word of God, to pray for us, and to guide and lead us in discipleship by spending time with us and loving us and caring for us and being there for us. And so if you want our uh, youth department, so to speak, or the young people of our church to grow, if you want them to grow, and if you want to grow spiritually, and you want to grow numerically, what you'll do then is be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be faithful to church, and you'll do the work of the ministry as He equips you, as He helps you, as He leads and loves you. If we want the uh, families with young children of our church, we want to see that uh, grow and be blessed and vibrant and, and see families staying together and not broken apart, then that will not have, don't put all of that on His shoulders to do that. No, the Bible says that He is to pray for you, that He is to feed you, and that He is to love you and to minister to you and guide you along the way. If you want those things to happen, you'll love Jesus more than you love sports. 
you'll love Jesus more than you love your career, and you'll love Jesus and lead your family to love Him and His church more than anything else in all the world. And by being faithful to that, you'll see that you'll be guided and directed in life. So as this week goes by, let us spend time every day, maybe for breakfast or lunch or dinner, maybe take a few times a day each day this week and prepare your heart to come next Sunday ready to vote in a unanimous way to bring this dear man and his family and his years of experience to be married and brought into the family of God here at Emmanuel that he might feed us, um, that he might pray for us, and that he might be with us and love us and be engaged with our lives, that we might grow together in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I also ask that you'd pray every day this week that your heart, wherever it is right now, would be warmed by the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. And where you have secret sin and wickedness and things in your heart where you're far away from the Lord, why don't you lay all of that down before him Confess those things as sin. Ask Jesus to move upon your life and your heart and lean upon the Holy Spirit and be faithful to God's Word every day. And we shall see the Lord do miracles and wonders as He has been. And so as the song says, He has been faithful before. He shall be faithful in the future. Amen? That sermon was free. Now let's have a word of prayer and I will give you the second sermon. Our Father, we do come to You and I, I pray for all of the people in this room, Lord, and uh, even our people that can't be here today, I pray that You would work in all of our hearts. Uh, Father, in those areas where we are prone to grow cold and weak and wander away from You, I pray that You would draw us close again, convict our hearts, change us from the inside out, help us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Our Lord and our Master, we bring ourselves to these last two chapters now and I pray for a bit of special grace as we read and speak about these verses. Father, I cannot possibly say all of the things that are so richly contained within Your Word. But I pray now that the Spirit of God would use my stammering tongue and the weakness of that I have to offer. And I pray for all of the people in this room that we would focus, Lord, very intently upon Your Word, and that You would move upon us and change us. And I pray that if there's one here today that doesn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, that You would convict them of their sin, and that You would help them to turn from that and to put their full confidence in Jesus Christ alone. And it will be a good and a glad day in their life. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Today, if I see in your bulletin, I've kind of just titled this, uh, this message today, New Creation. And uh, this week, I kind of was getting a little nervous. You know, I regularly just take a small text and then uh, work our way through that one small text. But the more that I read these chapters, I just felt impressed upon my heart that the Apostle Paul told young Timothy that when you're pastoring, to give careful and special attention to the reading of the Word of God within the body of Christ. And so today what I want to do is read some large portions of 21 and 22 and make a few comments on that. So first of all, let's read together. I'll read aloud for us, but please put your eyes upon the uh, words of God, uh, the copy that you have in your lap, and let's read verse 1 to 9 together. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth, they were passed away, 
and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, that is New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among His people. And He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have been passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful, and they are true words. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the one who thirsts from the springs of water of life without any cost. And he who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderer and the immoral person and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, they will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is that second death. And then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, Come here and I shall show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Let me make a first point today. From verse 1 to 9, I would simply sum all of that up into this. We should be encouraged by our future. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what is going on in your hearts. Many of you I do, and we share hardships and problems. But uh, there are a lot of times, even like last week, I had to speak about the judgment of God. And sometimes we talk about the, uh, well, the consequences of sin. But can I just bring a word of encouragement and exhortation and joy and happiness to those that are in Christ today? There is coming a day when Jesus will come back and He will make all things new. He will make all things right. He will make all of the world the way that it was supposed to be. Amen? And so I want you to know you can hold your head up high. You can walk with a little bit of power in your step, not because of who you are and what you've done and what family you belong to and all of the money that you have. No matter what you have, whether a lot or a little, our power and our glory and our victory is in the fact that we have a wonderful and a mighty future ahead of us. Whatever you are facing, whatever problems you have, whether you're here today and you've been looking for a job for months, or whether you're here today and you're dealing with a teenager that has gone astray, and maybe you're working, maybe your household is volatile, maybe husbands and wives are arguing and fighting, I want you to understand that you can stop looking horizontally today for just a moment of time and lift your eyes to heaven and your hearts and your soul to heaven and know that there really is a God in heaven and He really has has all the answers and one day he shall make all things new and right Amen. glory to God this world is terrible at times and it's good to know that God's in control of everything and I don't have to have the weight of the world on my shoulders and you don't have to have the weight of the world on your shoulders we have a wonderful and a marvelous future to look hold to that is the great hope of the Word of God. Uh, forgive me if I tell you that I've seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption. 
I would recommend to you to watch the TV version of it, okay? But old Red, in the middle of Shawshank Redemption, he's speaking to his friends, and uh, there at the table they're talking about the glories of music and how if you have music in your soul that it reminds you that there's something beyond these cold gray walls of prison. And Red looks at his friend and he says, hope is a dangerous thing and hope is a scary thing and hope will leave you hopeless. And I would say to you today, that worldly hope will leave you hopeless in the end. But when the object of your hope is the glory of the King of Heaven and the fact that He is real and He does exist and He will make all things right, hope is not a dangerous thing, but it is the most valuable thing that you have to hope and trust in the coming of our great God. There are some of us in this room today in which even in this last week you've been in the hospital. Some of you have received bad medical news. Some of you here today are dealing with things that you can't even possibly put your mind around. And I want you to know that the great hope that you have is that God does exist and He is real and He will make everything right and new. What does it say? There'll be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more frustration. Why? Because God wipes away all tears from our eyes in that day. You know, in uh, our little reading group on Friday, we were uh, reading the scripture and we were reading the text for today. And somebody pointed out to me, that's why I love to read with our church people. Somebody pointed out to me that it doesn't say there won't be any more crying. It says that God wipes away the tears. Isn't that intimately personal? That God would reach down His great hand and put His hand on your face and dry up all of the tears that you've ever cried. There are many in this room in which you feel lonely. Some of you are suffering because you've lost a spouse in time past. And when you roll over in the night and that part of the bed is cold, your heart hurts. Some of you are in situations where family members are estranged and there's hurting relationships there. I want you to understand that God knows and God cares and you can rejoice in the fact that one day God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. Amen? Amen. Let me make a second point to you today. From verse uh, chapter 22... Chapter 22, verse number 1 through 5. The rest of chapter number 21 is well worth reading. Oh, man, you know the teacher of me can't get away from that. Turn back for a second. Ah, jeez. You know what? Let me just pick back up in verse 10. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Let me just say this. When uh, this is being written in the first century, Jerusalem has passed AD 70. The temple has been destroyed. Jerusalem is laid waste. All of these people are suffering great persecution and they once looked to Jerusalem to have the answers. They once looked to the true Jerusalem there as the great Zion of God. But now the revelation says, listen, don't look horizontally anymore. Understand that the great and new Jerusalem where God's presence is his holiness and his righteousness it is coming down out of heaven 
Verse number 11, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear as jasper. And it had this great high wall with 12 gates and the gates of 12 angels. And the names were written on them. This is important in verse 12 and 14. The names that were written on these 12 uh, gates were the tribes of the son of Israel. And then look at verse number 4. And the walls of the city had 12 foundation stones, and those were what? The 12 apostles of the Lamb. So my brothers and sisters, when we began this great book of Revelation, some of you were pre-tribulation rapture people. Some of you were mid-trib, some of you were post-trib, some of you were pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial. Listen, with all of that said and done and all of the stuff that needs to be worked out, can I just say at the end, God wins and we're all together. Is that fair? Right? So whether you're looking at the Jew or whether you're looking at the church, the sons of Israel are there and the 12 apostles and all it means is that in the great present city of God there will be be no black or white, there will be no barbarian or Scythian or slave or free but Christ is all and in you all. Amen? Praise God! I have told you once, I've told you a thousand times, one of the very first markers, this is just, man, I'm off the races now. This is just, can I just make application? You've heard me say this before. One of the great markers of redemption and restoration and growth in Christ in this lifetime is the absence of racism in your heart. Because Christ is all and in you all. And if you look at somebody and you see anything less than Jesus, you are seeing wrong. Mother Teresa once said, the way to help yourself in that is to be Christ to everyone and to see Christ in everyone. Do you do that? If you don't do that now, you won't enjoy Jesus. Hope I don't get in trouble for that. Verse number 15. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out four square and the length as great as the width. And he measured the city with a rod, 1,500 miles its length and width and height. And equal, listen, and, and for, all of my, uh, for all of my Da Vinci Code and Bible Code kind of people, listen, stop on all of that. Stop trying to figure out all the dimensions of this building. All this language is meant to tell you is that when God comes down, there'll be room enough for all believers and it'll be marvelous. All right? The next several verses tell you about all of the stones and the riches and uh, all of the things that it's made out of. And then look at verse number 22. I'll pick up there. I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God is illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Uh, that goes all the way back to chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation where we are the lampstands, but in that day, in that great day, Christ will be the lampstand. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and in the daytime, for there will be no night there and its gates will never be closed and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me read these first five verses and then I'll give you another point. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the very throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, on either side, there was a river with the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit and yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. You see that? 
and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservant will serve Him. Let me stop at verse 3 just for a moment to say this. Here's the second point before I run out of time. Not only should we be encouraged by the future that we have, we should be encouraged by Christ's victory. And if I leave you with anything from this book, it is to understand that the entire theme of the book of Revelation is Christ wins. There is a phrase in this book called the overcomer. He who overcomes or the conqueror, he who conquers. That, that, that verb is used, I think, more than 44 times in the book of Revelation that we are conquerors in him. He who overcomes. The word there, in fact, if I was like an uber modern guy, we would have done a Revelation series and all I would have put on the back, like, like on the screen, was the Nike swoosh. The Greek word for conqueror is Nike, to overcome, to win. To persevere. And in the end, Christ wins. And our perseverance and our victory is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I just pause for a moment and ask you, do you have victory in Jesus Christ today? And for those of you that are sitting here and you say, yes, I've been saved, I've trusted Jesus, do you live every day in the power of that is in Christ? Do you wake up and commit your life to Him and say, I am more than a conqueror today. He has won the victory. In the end, He will make it all right. In the end, the curse has been broken. What does Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 say? There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus for what the law could not do, weak as it was, Christ did, overcoming our sin. The chains of sin and death have been broken. And for many of us in this room, you say, Steve, I am a believer, but I'm still struggling with besetting sins. I do the same ones week after week. But I want you to understand that you can go to God and say, these sins should not hold me down. I give my life to you. I have been broken from this. I don't have to remain in the prison of my own sinfulness because of what Jesus has done. I was reading this story this week about uh, this missionary couple that had a snake crawl in their house that was five feet long. Brother David, I, I think that if I had a snake crawl in my house five feet long, I'd have a heart attack. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Praise God. Isn't it great to have our brother back with us this week? Amen. <laughs> you didn't know you was going to get a round of applause. Five foot long snake crawled into these people's house, and the neighbor came over with a machete and cut the head off the snake. And the story read they said that the neurological system of a snake can keep it flopping around for hours. <laughs> now, that missionary couple did exactly what I've done they waited outside for five hours until the snake stopped flopping all around. Now, I know all of my men in here, you think that you're bad, right? But I promise you, you'd be squealing like a little girl if a headless snake started flopping all over your house. You know you'd be like that. I would too. You know what the book of the Revelation tells us about the devil? All he really is right now is a headless snake that's flopping around. God wins. 
Christ wins. The curse has been broken. And yeah, sometimes that old headless snake beats around our house and knocks over tables and crashes plates. But I want you to leave here today. Listen, sometimes I have to beat you up in the name of Jesus. But today I want you to leave in the joy and being built up in the name of Christ that you have victory in Jesus and the devil does not win. And he is not bigger than God. He is not bigger than Christ. He loses. And so sometimes that old devil flops around your own house and causes problems and turns things over, but you just need to smile and pray and give your heart to Christ and remember that all He is is a headless snake and in the end He shall die and be cast with death, hell into the grave, into the lake of fire and He will be gone for eternity. That's the encouragement of the book. Let me give you one more point here. Well, maybe two. Let me just, uh, from chapter 21 and 22, you know it's hard to end a series with two whole chapters. So let me just make this statement and then I'll point it out to you. We should be encouraged by our future. We should be encouraged by Christ's victory. I think today we can say that we should be encouraged by the unity of our story. We should be encouraged by the unity of the grand narrative of Scripture. That creation and fall and redemption and restoration and glorification. That the Bible gives us a worldview to live in. And it has been around a lot longer than you and me. And the story that we live in and that we share with the world and that we plead for them to come into, that story has great unity. Did you know that the book of Genesis in chapter number 1 and Revelation 21 and 22, they perfectly bookend the entire Bible so that the whole unity of the story that we live in makes sense. For instance, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 that God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 1 that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible says in Genesis 1.16 that sin came in or that the Son was created in Genesis 1.16. The Bible says in Revelation 21.23 that there will no longer be any need for the Son for Christ will be the light of that place. The Bible says in Genesis 1.5 that the night was established. In Revelation 22 and verse 5, the Bible says that there will be no more night. Genesis 1 and verse number 10 says the seas were created. Revelation 21 and verse number 1, there will be no more sea. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14 through verse 17, the curse is announced. In Genesis 22 and verse number 3, the Bible says, there shall be no more curse. Death enters human history in Genesis 3.19. In Revelation 21.4, the Bible says, there will be no more death. Man is driven out from the Garden of Eden and from the Tree of Life in Genesis 3.24. But in Revelation 22.14, the Bible says that man is restored to the great Garden of Paradise where the Tree of Life is on the banks of the River of Life and it yields that great fruit for the healing of the nations. Sorrow and pain begin in Genesis 3.17. And in Revelation 21.4, the Bible says there will be no more tears and no more pain. Can I just take a, 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 just a moment to tell you this? Some of this is joy for us as believers to end this series in the encouragement. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ, and maybe you're here today and you're, you're even a little skeptical 
Or maybe you've heard a lot about religion, but you're not sure about that. Or uh, you're, you, you, you say, I am not a believer. I, I just want to speak to all of us today, both believer and unbeliever. And you're, you're welcome here, by the way. And uh, our doors are always open. And if you ever have a question about the Word of God or Christianity, please come and see me. Our, our door is always open. We want to talk to you. I want you to understand today that every human being that has reason and wants to think deeply about some of these issues, that we all have a worldview. We have a perspective upon the way that we see life. And every person, whether a believer or unbeliever, you have to answer some very important kind of worldview, big kind of questions, such as where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? Uh, to bore or to have some of, my, uh, some of my other people have their eyes glazed over, as Leibniz says, why is there something rather than nothing? You should be able to answer questions like this. What is reality? You know, the way I describe reality is, reality is what you bump into when you're wrong. Right? If you get, on the, you get on the roof when you're a kid and you take a sheet and think that you can fly, yes, a broken shoulder is reality when you realize you can't fly. But you have to answer, what is reality? What does it mean to live a blessed life? What is the blessed life? Can I ask you something? Somebody, somebody, that, uh, somebody that's born without any limbs at all, can they have a blessed life? Can paraplegic children have a blessed life? Can somebody that's born uh, okay and by the time they turn 20 discover that they have issues with schizophrenia, is it possible for them to live a blessed life? Do you have a worldview that makes sense of that? Can you answer that question? What is, what is a good person? That's a question. What's a good person? And maybe here's the last question for you. How do you become a good person? Those are major questions that believers and unbelievers have to answer. I just, this is a Christian church, and so I want to say to you, we come today with an affirmation from Scripture that our worldview makes sense, that our story is cohesive. What we have to say is that what is reality? God and His kingdom, that God is, He exists. What does it mean to live a blessed life? Anyone who has new life given to them from God above and is living in God's kingdom, that they can have a blessed life. Not because of what they can produce, i.e. if your worldview is only materialistic, as if all that means something is what you can produce, then you'd have no way to say that a schizophrenic person or a homeless man could have value in his life. You'd only give value, as Peter Singer would, to those who contribute to society. No, what we say is that value is intrinsic to us because of not us, but the God who created us. Who is a good person? We would say anybody that is alive and well in the kingdom of God through Jesus. How can one become a good person? by laying down their weapons of warfare, of pride and indifference, and humbly coming to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, pleading with Him to be saved and committing their life to live for Him. I, wanna, I want you to leave here today knowing 
that our story has unity. That God created the world, that we screwed it up, and that God provided a way out through His Son, Jesus Christ. Not only from, to save you from your sins and to save you from hell, but to give you a different kind of life right now. And that one day, God will come back and He will establish justice and judgment on the wicked and that His people will rule and reign with Him for an eternity. Can I just... Hey, listen. These questions that I'm telling you. Your lost friends at work. Your lost family. Lost people at school. These are questions that they are dealing with. So don't just run out there and beat up on them because they don't have faith. Share the story of the Scriptures with them. Show them that where they're hurting and where they're critical and where they're skeptical, that God meets them there. And if you don't know how to do that and you don't know the Bible well enough to explain that, please, by all means, can I tell you something? There is no gotcha question to Christianity. All of the questions that your friends and family and co-workers have have been asked for thousands of years just come see me and talk to me and we'll work at it together. Grow and learn in your faith to be able to share the worldview of Christianity that makes sense out of the life that we are in right now. Amen. Amen. One point, we'll finish. Everything that I've said here, we rejoice together. Hear me now. We rejoice together about the future and that future victory of Christ and the unity of our whole story. But this week as I was studying, this is more just a reflection point, uh, just a, a little bit of devotional thought for you this week. As I was reading chapter 21 and 22, I was thinking about this point. We should be encouraged by God's present work of new creation. Sometimes we, we get together and we sing, have like a Sunday night singer. We sing a song, I got a mansion just over the hilltop. Well, glory to God for that. Or when the roll is called up yonder, I'm excited about the future and you should be excited about the future. But I want you to understand that for like the last 50 years of evangelicalism in our country, we have told people to hope in the future instead of love telling them to live in the victory and the power of the new creation of Christ right now. I am not holding out and holding on and, and, and living a life full of lemons and it's sorry now and i got to be a Christian. You know, one day it'll all be good up there in heaven. No, let me tell you something. The greatest life you can live is the life of surrender and sacrifice and yieldedness to Jesus. Not in the future, right now. Only Jesus makes sense of your relationships. Only Jesus can take away your sin. Only Jesus can right your heart. Only Jesus can take that self centered, narcissistic problems that you have and make righteousness out of them and bless the world. And he does it right now. Amen. Let me just show you a couple little things here. Like from verse, um, verse number one of chapter number 20, 21, it says that he's going to make the new heavens and new earth. As I was thinking this week, what about 2 Corinthians 5, 17? That he has made us new creations. Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new creations. Not then, now. Jesus is at work in my life right now giving me new creation. 
And so what that says for believers in this room is you ought to look more like Jesus now than you did a year ago. You ought to be more faithful to God's house and God's people now than you were a year ago. You ought to pray longer and harder. You ought to fast more. You ought to share the gospel more. You ought to be more fully alive and joyful in the kingdom of God now than you were a year ago. And if you're not, you're sinning against God and you need to get it right, right now. Can I get one amen? Well, that went over like a lead balloon. Number two, verse number six, chapter 21, says that he gives us springs of water in that day. Hey, brothers and sisters, yes, there will come a day where there'll be springs of water. And whatever you want to think that looks like, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's a well or a river or you just put a mug down there and drink it. I don't know what it looks like. But here's what I can tell you. Why in the world would you long for the springs of water somewhere out into the future instead of realizing that in John chapter number 7 and verse number 38, Jesus said, I will give you rivers of water springing up from your own belly. Let me ask you this. Do you drink springs of living, happy, joyful water daily from Jesus? What does your Christian life look like? Fake? Half-hearted? A little here, a little there? Do you find enjoyment sometimes when a song's good on Sunday, but you find it behind a screen? or in an attitude, or in some game, or in how much money you have in your bank account during the week? Where do you find the rivers of living water? Number three, verse number seven, chapter 21 says that we are overcomers. Doesn't that remind you of Romans 8, 37, 38? That we are more than conquerors now. Through Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. And nothing shall separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything shall come between Christ's love and us. You have that now, not in the future, now. And here's maybe just like the stick in the ribs kind of question and I'll turn it around a little bit for you. All I'm asking you is to just analyze your life and say, man, do I really have that kind of life? Not that I don't have bad times, not that I don't walk through valleys, not that life isn't tough, but do I have the kind of life that the Bible portrays me to have right now? I mean, do I really have new creation where I can honestly look at my life and say, not because of me, but because of Jesus and because I'm committed to Him, that my life is looking there. I'm not as mean as I once was. I'm not as prideful as I once was. I'm not as, uh, uh, all of the sin, that it's moving away and I'm moving more. My life is a little bit more more smelling like Jesus than it used to. Do you have that going on right now? Do you have springs of water? Are you an overcomer? Are you, do you know that you have Christ and His love and nothing separating you from that? Or do you live something subpar? Let me draw your attention to verse 16 and 17 of chapter 22 and we better call it a close today. Revelation 22, 16, 17. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. Oh, man, teacher, me can't stop. So, for instance, I just want you to understand that if you read the last, I'll say, 10 verses of Revelation and you read the beginning 10 verses of Revelation, you're going to understand that they say almost the same thing. It's a bookend. And so what that tells you is that 
all of, most all of the New Testament authors write that way. The book of Romans, read Romans 1 and Romans 16. They say almost the same thing. It's an intentional literary, hey, all my students, it's a literary device. It's not meant to tell you that what's in the middle doesn't matter to you. It's meant to tell you that what's here and what's here is telling you everything in the middle belongs to you. In the beginning it was for the church. In the end it's for the church. Verse, uh, man, I'm, okay. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let those who wish to take water of life without cost. You know what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There are some weak and heavy laden. That's my King James English coming out for you. There are some weak and heavy laden people in your life that don't have Jesus. Do you tell them to come? Do you share the gospel with them? Do you write them letters and tell them about what Jesus has done for you? Do you send them texts? Do you invite them to church? Do you share Jesus and share your testimony with them? Here's maybe a hard question that i got to ask myself, and I just ask you to ask yourself. Are you living this kind of fully powerful God kind of life that makes you want to go out and tell everybody, I've found something pretty awesome. Come and see it. Are you, like, are you like the person that Jesus said that found a treasure in a field and so he went and sold everything that he had and bought the field? He bought the field, not the treasure. Bought the whole thing. He gave everything that he had because he knew that he had found something in the field that was worth telling the world about. I guess maybe I'm just asking myself this and I'm asking all of us to think about this today. Is my relationship such with Jesus that I'm finding such joy and glory and happiness and transformation in my life that when I wake up and I go about my day and I see people that I want to find a way to drag them to Jesus. bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Just a moment, we'll sing a, we'll stand and sing a hymn together in just a minute, but uh, hey, maybe, let me just say a couple things here for our people today. Hey, be encouraged that Jesus wins, but maybe challenge yourself and see where your heart is. Are you really receiving from Jesus the kind of life that makes you want to share it with everybody? I don't know, maybe, maybe you should just really be honest in a moment there with your own life. If you're not, why don't you ask him why? And listen. And don't just listen now, listen the rest of the day. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I just want to tell you, look, if you want one, you can have one. 
Don't be an unbeliever out of sheer attitude. Seek and ask questions. Because you don't want to fool yourself the rest of your life and come to the end and find out that He did exist and that you are wrong. And the only reason why you remained in your condition was out of your own arrogance. I plead for you to have a humble heart and a, a hungry heart to ask questions. God is able to answer the ones that you have. And He's provided people to help you with that. Seek that out today. Just stand with us and just sing this song for a moment.